Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, you and I are often asked what our favorite word is. Yes. And uh, I like to throw out mellifluous and preposterous. Mm-hmm. But I realize that I'm usually throwing out words in English. Mm-hmm. And True. maybe it's time we shared words in different languages. So what's your ancient Greek one? Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. <There's... laughs> I know you're not ready for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, in Spanish, the word ojalá is a wonderful word. Yes. It's from the Arabic, and it roughly means the same as inshallah, hopefully, or if God wills it. And I love it because it demonstrates that Spanish isn't that pure Latin language that sometimes it's people, uh, English speakers think that it is, right? Yes. It's got all this influence from Arabic. It's Absolutely. got this, this rich history. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I love about ojalá is that it's followed by the subjunctive, which we use so rarely in English mm-hmm. and is used a whole lot more in Spanish. Yeah. So uh, ojalá. Ojalá and, que, que puedas hacer algo. Right. And so it suggests the possibility of doing something. Mm-hmm. You could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do something. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if you're going to do Spanish, then I'll do Spanish. Okay. But mine's going to be a little different, too. When I was young and learning Spanish in junior high from somebody who did not speak Spanish very well, mm. and I realized that she was an English speaker who spoke Spanish very poorly, seventh grade, I listened to shortwave radio. And mm-hmm. I listened to international broadcasters, including the propaganda station from Cuba, Radio Havana, Cuba. I loved the music. I didn't care about the propaganda. But that's how I improved my Spanish. Huh. And so I listened to a lot of Spanish. And I swear, at the time, I heard somebody give his name as Jorge Hueves, which translated <laughs> in English is George Thursday. Uh-huh. And I just loved the way he said his name. Jorge Hueves. Jorge Hueves. <laughs> and so ever since I was about 13, I just will just say the name Jorge Hueves. And now here I am in 2019, and there's a television show that's been on for a few years called Endeavor. This is a story of the Morse story. It's the prequel to the Morse TV series, which has been on for a million years in the UK. It's on ITV, I believe. And in it is a detective whose name is George Thursday, oh, really? which I think is hilarious. <laughs> but anyway, that's my favorite Spanish words, I guess, is Jorge Hueves. Jorge Hueves. <laughs> and you kind of have to say it with a special curl of the mm-hmm, lip. Jorge Hueves. <laughs> Well, we'd love to hear your favorite word in Spanish or any other language. Call us, 877-929-9673, or spell it out in an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, I'm Therese Inverso calling you from Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Wilkes-Barre, welcome to the show, Therese. What can we do for you? So um, the word is yipka, which my friend when I was living in New Jersey taught me. Y-I-P-K-A. Yep. And um, she told me it was a Yiddish word, and it means your house clothes. And the wonderful thing about this word is that it's not um, male or female. A woman goes around in a house dress, and that kind of means the same thing, but a man doesn't want to wear a house dress. So Yippa covers both of us. 
So she taught that to you, and now you use it? Yes, yes, I use it. If somebody says, do you want to go somewhere? And I'll say, well, let me change. I'm in my yipka. <laughs> That's a new one for I don't me. want to go outside and um, wear my yipka. It's definitely old clothes you wear around the house. Yeah. I'm curious, too. I mean, when my spouse and I get home, we put on our play clothes immediately. That's what we call them. Our <laughs> oh. We- well, you're welcome to use the word yipka. <laughs> well, I like that. I like that a lot, although I like play clothes, too. But uh, I like Yipka. That's nice, but but Grant has, has a million databases on his I, computer. I don't know that one. I mean, I just know Shimada, which most people yeah, know for that's old what clothes, I was right? Um, but, right. Huh. But that can apply to any old fabric. Right, right. yeah. That's, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not a native Yiddish speaker. I just know stuff from books, you know. Well, here's the thing. So I talked to my friend yesterday who told me about this uh-huh. just to confirm it. And she said she learned it from her husband's mother. Mm-hmm. But Aunt Eileen, who was 93, said, oh, that's not a Yiddish word. So-and-so made that up. Oh, how about that? <laughs> so we're not actually positive, but we still think it's a good word. And, yeah, and yeah it, I agree. Put, put that in the language. Yipka, for the clothes you wear around Yipka. the house. The, the stuff with the holes in it and the tear yeah. and the paint stains. Yeah. The, but it's comfortable. Yeah, and, and if you have any self-respect, you don't cross the street with it to get the mail. You could... You could walk out on your porch and pick up the mail. Yeah, right. You might might, uh, answer the door to accept a delivery, right? Right. Yeah. 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 But the yipka, you wear it around the house because it's comfortable, but you you wouldn't wear it to the store, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so my friend Carol and I were trying to spread this word anyway, whether it's legitimate or not. (laughs) Therese, I think you just did. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. And maybe in a few years, everyone will be talking about the yipka they wear around the house. Yeah. If we can get people to describe Mr. Rogers' red sweater... His cardigan as a, as a yipka, then I think you will. Yeah, have but he could definitely wear that to the five and ten. I mean, that's something to be proud of. <laughs> are there five and tens now? <laughs> there, there are. Uh, there almost are up here in Wilkesbury. I think they're five and ten dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Therese, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Yipka. I like Yipka. it. I do too, but it's not its not something that I've ever heard before. And it's not in any of the Yiddish dictionaries or books that I have. That's because her friend made it up. I know. But, you know, you have one hopes. One hopes that you can find the answer right? out there, that it's going to be in your books. I did come across the thing that they used to shout in New York City when they would go down the street with the wagons to collect the old clothes in oh. Yiddish. Altazaken. Altazaken. Oh, yeah. old, old clothes. Old yeah. clothes. Right? Because it was when clothes were precious and you would sell your old clothes for a little bit of money but now they're just like a throwaway commodity almost (laughs) right well call us with your language question we'll try to ferret out the answer 877-929-9673 or send all of your stories about language to words at waywardradio.org A word I learned this week is the word bundu, B-U-N-D-U, in British English. It, it means a largely uninhabited wild region far from towns. It comes from a Bantu word and is used in South Africa in slang, hmm. out in the bundus. Hmm. Interesting. That sounds similar to boondock, but unrelated. I know. I know. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Oh, Hi. This is Stephanie. I'm calling from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome. 
Well, I have a question about a phrase I heard a colleague at work say. We were in a meeting, and we were talking about a system that we use that has a lot of challenges and data issues, and we were talking about some of the solutions, and she said it's like grabbing a wolf by the ears. And I looked over at her, I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) What did she say? She said it has something to do with um, an impossible task or once you let it get so far out of control, it's hard to get it back. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it, right? That sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) So she didn't have direct experience with this. This was just a figure of speech for her, right? Well, she didn't give me much more information. Um, I didn't think to ask where she heard it from because I was just still thinking and processing the phrase itself. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's used as a synonym for to have a tiger by the tail. Do you know that one? I have heard that. Was there a notion when you were talking with your coworker about that there's, it was kind of a lose-lose situation, which is no matter what she did, she was going to end up in a, uh, uh, it wasn't going to work out very well. Whether she fixed it or she didn't fix it, it was just not going to be good. Yeah, yes. There's a sense of that just because the nature of the system that we were talking about, we both work in it. And so I know I I got the idea where she was going with that. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's the idea of having a tiger by the tail, too. You've got this tiger. Sometimes it's called riding a tiger. You can ride the tiger, but if you ride the tiger, you're in trouble. If you get off the tiger, the tiger is going to eat you. So either, yes. either way, you're in trouble. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, you'd be delighted to know, I think, that this whole idea of having a wolf by the ears goes back to the Roman times. Oh. Yeah, there's a, in Latin, Martha has the better Latin pronunciation, so correct me, Martha, if you will. It's tenere lupum arabus. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a, to hold a wolf by the ears, and it goes back to the Roman playwright Terence. Okay. And, and sometimes translated as to hold danger in your hands or to take a bull by the horns. And another expression that we don't use anymore in English that you might run across in old books is to catch a tartar with a capital T, meaning these the ancient ruffians of the East, these uh, old uh, rascals and the I guess we, they were often seen as the. Just the enemy of the, from the east. Yeah, were often, violent, strong. Yeah, yeah, violent, strong enemies were always marauding and invading the Tartars. Yeah, right? if you if you got somebody like that by the shoulders, mm, <laughs> what are you gonna do next? Yeah, what are you gonna do? Right, you've <laughs> oh caught them. God. Now, yeah. what are you gonna do? It's kind of a cliffhanger, right? <laughs> yeah, but you know, this expression shows up again and again throughout classical literature. Chaucer has a mention in the Tale of Melibe. Erasmus has a mention, and it starts showing up in proverbs and saying. And there's a lot of variations. And sometimes it's attached to an expression about law, the practice of law, that to practice law is uh, to catch a wolf by the ears because law is its own entanglement. So to bring a suit against someone or to to pursue a legal case and entraps you as much as it entraps the other person. Oh, somebody also mentioned something about it was used during um, when they were trying to do away with slavery. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson used it uh, in that sense, uh, talking about we have a wolf by the ears and we can neither hold him nor safely let him go. Justice is in one scale and self-preservation in the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. It's interesting that your colleague brought that up because I really don't hear it in casual conversation. It seems a little bit more elevated than that, doesn't it? Yeah, I wonder think? if they had been reading something, some some kind of literature or something, and it just mm-hmm. caught hold of their fancy and it just showed up in everyday speech. She is a big reader. She she ah. loves to read. Well, there you go. 
There you go. And I believe that there are versions of this in, in other languages, too, like the Romance languages. Oh, yes, definitely, like yeah. Because, mm -hmm. because of the Latin, Latin origins roots, and yeah. showing up in the classical literature, yeah. it's going to be pervasive throughout Europe and European cultures. Yeah, so I'm a not, whole lot of history in that conversation. There was. There was. There is. I'm going to have to ask her if she read it somewhere. Cool. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for calling. Well, no, thank you, and you have a great day. You too. Take care. We will now. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Stephanie. Bye-bye. Grant, as you know, author and essayist and friend of the show, Jennifer Michael Hecht, has a Ph.D. in the history of science. But she told an interviewer that she believes deeply in the power of poetry. She said, if you look at a testimony of love from 2,000 years ago, it can still exactly speak to you, whereas medical advice from only 100 years ago is ridiculous. And so as a historian, I write poetry. I'm profoundly committed to art as the answer. Indeed, I don't put science really as the way I get to any of my answers. It's just helpful. It's poetry that I look to. It's the clatter of recognition. Ooh, nice. Isn't that great? The clatter great. of recognition. Yeah. And I'd never thought about that, about the how quickly science ages and yes. how little love does. Yes, yes. Wow. Well said. 877-929-9673. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash w-o-r-d-s. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined by John Chinesky, our quiz guy in New York City. Hi, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. Hey. It's a pleasure to be back. You know, it's about time for my semi-annual mention of the National Puzzlers League, of which I have been a member for over 25 years. Now, if you enjoy wordplay and grid puzzles and codes, cryptograms, you will enjoy the NPL, and you can find them at puzzlers.org. And the NPL's primary puzzle type, as you may remember, is uh, called a flat, which is a sort of verse with several words masked with uh, placeholders, and you've got to figure out those words. And each flat uses at least one kind of wordplay. And the kind of wordplay we're playing with today is called a terminal deletion, all right? In this case, the terminal we're talking about are the first and last letters of a word, both ends. And a deletion is, you know, a deletion. So, for example, the word ample is a terminal deletion of the original word sampled. Sampled, take out the S and the D, and you get ample. Right. Understood? Mm -hmm. Good. Yep. Now, I'll give you a clue to both the original word and the terminal deletion answer word. You tell me what they are. Now, for example, if I said... If you terminally delete a large wooden box, you'll get a large rodent. The answers would be crate and rat. Got it? Got, Got it. it. Here's the first one. If you terminally delete the soil beneath your feet, you'll get a way to express yourself creatively. So earth and art. 
Earth and art oh, is correct. Oh, I see. Okay. If you terminally delete a warm winter accessory, you'll get a common conveyance. Scarf and car? Scarf and car is correct. Nicely done. If you terminally delete a common first step in cooking ground beef, you'll get an argument in the UK. So brown and row? Brown and row, yes. If you terminally delete Weir or Lipinski, you'll get Hepburn or Winslet. <laughs> <laughs> so Kate mm -hmm. and Skater. Oh, Skater, good. yes. I can good see one. you came in through the back way that time. Very nice. <laughs> if you terminally delete oak or maple, for example, you'll get oak or maple, for example. Street and tree? Street and oh. tree. Nice. <laughs> Very good. If you terminally delete a vehicle you might see at a cemetery, you'll get something you can use to listen to a eulogy. So hearse and mm -hmm. ears. Hearse and ears. Oh, yes. Very wow. nice. Finally, if you terminally delete a large bladed tool used to chop meat, well, I'm just going to get the heck out of here. <laughs> Cleaver and leave. Yeah. Cleaver and leave. And that is my cue to leave. Okay, you guys did fantastic. I'll see you next time. Thanks, John. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Take, take care. <laughs> and we'd love to talk with you. Call us, 877-929-9673, or send your stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. And if you just can't wait, you can find us on Twitter. We are at wayward. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. Hi, this is Jolene Deckel. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Hi, Jolene. Welcome to the show. What can we do for you? Well, I have this word that we use in Trinidad a lot, and everybody's always trying to discuss where it started from. Um, I'm from Trinidad originally, and we were once part of the British Commonwealth, so we're not sure if it derives from the British um, language or it's just a Trinidad slang. And the word is liming. So basically, when you pick up a bunch of friends or you go over to somebody's house, we're going to go liming, which means to hang out. Mm -hmm. But where did it come from? Does it come from limey or does it, is it a turn that word? That's what we're trying to find out. Liming as, as in a verb, huh? We're going liming? As in a verb. So yes, let's, as in a verb. Let's spell that. L-I-M-I-N-G, liming. That's correct, liming. So the verb would be L-I-M-E, like the fruit. Yeah, we're going to go lime. So when we get together, we're liming. And so it's, so informal socializing, hanging out, chatting, maybe going to a party, that sort of thing? Correct, yes, that's okay. right. And mm -hmm. so you're originally from Trinidad. You've been in the United States for a while. Then nobody around you probably uses this. Nobody uses that. But if I pick <laughs> up the phone and I talk to another friend from Trinidad who lives in Boston, New York, wherever, and we say, so are you going liming tonight? Uh, right away they know exactly what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I can, oh, wow. I can imagine. So there's two prevailing theories. And the first one is that it does come from limey. L-I-M-E-Y, okay. which is a derogatory right. term for a British person, except it kind of flipped. The Dictionary of Caribbean Usage suggests that it came about during World War II as a derogatory term for white American soldiers who were at the naval oh. base in Trinidad who hung around the body houses, you know, where the ladies of the uh, right. disrepute yes. were. Um, and that's one theory. So it was kind of the American naval men 
who were up to no good hanging around, um, and they were called limeys, even though they weren't British. That theory, I would grade that theory probably a C or a D, not very good. Now, there's another dictionary that I have, which I much prefer. It's it's a better Uh dictionary, has a lot more evidence, uh, and it's called the Dictionary of the English Creole of Trinidad and Tobago. It has a ton of information. It's got a lot of citations. It dates this term back to the 1940s. Um, And a theory that it shares has a lot of evidence. And it says, if you weren't invited to a party and you you wouldn't go because it would be rude, you were said to suck limes. Like you you basically say, go Uh, suck limes. You're not invited to the party, right? And so if you didn't go and you were sucking limes, you would go suck limes together. It means you were liming. And maybe you would go Mm. bus a lime when you would go ride a bus and suck a lime. And so you were kind of liming together, meaning you were sucking limes together. And that supposedly is their idea for the origin of the expression. They also expressed some doubt about that. But it sounds Mm -hmm. to me, it's got that ring of like simplicity that I really like. And also, I love it when a dictionary expresses doubt about their own origins that they're putting forth because it means that they're not trying to pull one over on me. Right, right. (laughs) Now, you know, that can make a lot of sense, but it's such a social thing. I don't see, I mean, you know, it's, it's, Trinidad's a very um, cosmopolitan, diverse background and everything, and we're such social beings in Trinidad. Mm -hmm. So even if you're a foreigner, stranger, wherever, and you come and somebody meets you and they might meet you on the plane. And you say, oh, well, what are you doing in Trinidad? Oh, well, you know, I came for business and all. I said, well, listen, we're having a line at our house tonight. Do you want to come over? Um, yeah. So it's such a social inviting type of phrase. Absolutely. It kind of seems like the opposite. Like if you suck lines, yeah, you didn't get invited and all that. But mm-hmm. it means that we want you to be part of our social group, even if we don't even know you. Jolene, <laughs> let me agree with you on all the Trinidadians I've ever met have been like that. I agree with you completely. I do too. But let me propose a theory and that Lyme has changed. When we look at the early uses of this in this dictionary where they have it in print from newspapers and books and stuff from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, it didn't mean that exactly originally. Liming was hanging out um, on the streets doing nothing. It was kind right. of this. It was kind <laughs> yes, of like that sounds very true. <laughs> it was bumming around. It was like smoking yes. cigarettes. It was teasing the girls. It was harassing yeah. passersby. It was goofing off. It wasn't going to parties. It wasn't any kind of sophisticated no, party or go, anything like that. You go liming on the block. Yeah, That's right. exactly. You so go, you go on lime the on the block and you go stand up there and smoke cigarettes. Yeah, and harass people. So, <laughs> <and> harass <laughs> people. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe liming only was the kind of liming where you were an outsider in the beginning. And it wasn't the liming where you go to somebody's house and put on your best clothes and, and bring a little food and a little drink and have a good time and dance together. Yeah, that could make sense. And plus, you know, 40s and 50s and 60s was a totally different time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It may not have been, you know, as social until it got maybe in the early, early 60s. Is it correct to say you're liming with us right now? I am liming with you right now. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much I'm just for hanging out. I'm not harassing anybody, but no. I am liming. Yeah, we're liming together. <laughs> and I want to thank you for looking back for the words and giving me, and so it's given me a whole new perspective, too. And I enjoy your show tremendously. Thank you so thank very you much so for calling much. us. We really appreciate it. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, call us and lime with us for a while, 877-929-9673, or send your stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. 
You know, we often talk on the show about kids misunderstanding this word or that, but as you get older, sometimes you still have misunderstandings, particularly in the case of homonyms. Mm -hmm. And we heard a great example of, actually, a couple of examples from John Rodriguez, who lives here in San Diego, California. He writes... My first job was in the seafood department of a local grocery store. I was young and inexperienced, and I didn't want to show how nervous I really was. One day a customer came up to me, opening and closing her hand repeatedly, and asked, Do you carry crab crackers? I was so wet behind the ears, I said... I'm not sure, but you can definitely find oyster crackers on the soup aisle. <laughs> it wasn't until later I realized crab crackers are tools used to crack the shell of a crab. <laughs> <laughs> not a thing that you eat with crab, but a thing that you crack crab with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then he continues, Another day a customer asked me, do you carry lox? You'd think the boy behind the seafood counter would know that lox is cured salmon. I thought to myself and said, you can find lox on the hardware aisle? <laughs> <laughs> and he said when he thinks back to those moments, he, he laughs about it now, that he, he tried to help and technically gave honest answers. He says, miscommunication makes the best comedy sometimes, and those two moments will always bring me joy. <laughs> Talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hi there. You have a way with words. Hi, this is Dina, and I'm calling from Whitefish, Montana. Whitefish, Montana. Well, welcome to the show, Dina. What can we do for you? Well, my question is about a food. I grew up in central Pennsylvania, and we had a food <laughs> called pot pie. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I was telling my husband about pot pie, and it's <laughs> the, he had a big problem with it because it's actually a soup. It's not a pie. It's more like a chicken noodle soup with homemade flat dumplings. So I told my husband, so we have this food called pot pie, but it's not a pie. And he said, no, it can't be called a pie if it's not a pie. There's no crust. There's no pie pan. There's no baking. It's a soup. He's from the Midwest, so a pie is a pie. We got to wondering how a soup could be called pot pie. I had some people say, well, maybe it's because you have the ingredients and you make it in a pot. And that didn't seem right to me, but I did ask my mom, who used to work as a cook in a nursing home with a bunch of Pennsylvania Dutch ladies, mm -hmm. and she said, oh, it's not pot pie, it's bot boy, and that's what uh -huh. the Pennsylvania Dutch ladies call it, and somehow it became pot pie. That seemed to make more sense to me, but we still have really no idea Pot pie? I mean, that is, it's crazy. That <laughs> it's is disappointing, correct. too. Mm -hmm. Yes, you are, mm -hmm. Martha and I are both nodding. Um, as a matter of fact, there is a really nice entry for this in the Dictionary of American Regional English, one of our most trusted reference works that has an entry for chicken pot pie that you think would be the pot pie that we all know and love, but really it's kind of like chicken dumplings when yes, you read the description. Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it does specifically say that it's a Pennsylvania Dutch dish. Um, sometimes also called slippery pot pie. Yeah. Um, it looks kind of like a chicken dumpling stew. It doesn't have a pie crust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I had to, I thought I was crazy in imagining things, so I had to, like, look it up and show my husband the recipe. See, it's not a pie. <laughs> 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 it's actually a soup, 
But we still, you know, but he was like, I'm from the Midwest. You can't call it a pie. Well, you you know? can't call it a <laughs> pie. Well, what I would like to encourage your husband to do is just say, you know what? Sometimes words have more than one meaning. I think the other point that, that Grant and I would circle around to is the fact that, boy, anytime we talk about food on this show, there are so many different opinions. We were just talking about Long John's, those uh, donuts, yeah. and we've gotten so much email about what you call uh, those bar donuts. But just accept that words have more than one meaning. Meaning, when mm-hmm. it comes to food, words often have – you cannot rely on even just across the county line that the word is going to have the same meaning at all. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially just people in central Pennsylvania calling it what they want. and Yeah, mainly, mainly central Pennsylvania mainly and so, yeah. uh, the mm-hmm. North Midlands. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Dina, thank you so much for calling. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Take care. Sure. And I say tell your husband if you can't stand the heat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat the meal. <laughs> right. Yeah, stay away call from it. the pie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, if you have a dispute in your household over a word or phrase, we'd love to hear about it. 877-929-9673 or send us the whole story in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hi there. You have a way with words. Uh, Yes, this is Robert Pill from Oklahoma City. Hi, Robert. What's going on? Well, I had a question about something I ran into when I was traveling and working in the oil field uh, years ago over in Siberia and Russia. And I had brought over some CNSA toys for some of the kids over there that worked for the company. And when they played them, they were all shocked because all the animal noises were incorrect. Like the rooster says, cock-a-diddle-doo. Mm-hmm. And they would say, no, the rooster says, co-cockery. Uh-huh. And every animal on the CNSA, from the farmer's CNSA toy, was different than what they said the animal noises were. So you were in Russia doing what? I was working as a mud engineer in the oil industry. We used uh, polymers that are in ice cream and chewing gum to make the mud thick, to clean the hole. And and we were trying to show them that they don't have to uh, just kill everything to drill a hole in the ground. Gotcha. <laughs> I put diesel and things in that. But I, I was wondering, when they translate like a children's story from mm-hmm. Russian to English, do they translate it with the cock-a-doodle-doo, or do they translate it with the cockery? It depends on the translator, really. It depends on how, how much they want to keep the original flavor of the, the source material. And I was also wondering, is it like that with every country, like Japan? And... It's on a language-by-language basis, yes. Absolutely, yeah. Oh. It depends largely wow. on the phonetic inventory of the native language, right, Martha? Absolutely, yeah. And you can you can go online and find um, some fun illustrations of what animals say in different languages. Um, I some, know some great YouTube videos, by the way, if you want to hear them spoken. Ah, there uh, you go. Yeah. There you go. That, okay. Yeah, so there's, there's lots to explore there. I, I remember being shocked when I was much younger and met a Brazilian kid who said, no, no, birds go pew, pew. The <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. laser guns. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's one of the cultural surprises you have when you encounter kids' books, when you're starting another language and you think um, – all of this stuff that seems so basic to you, like, oh, I'll start with the kid stuff. That's going to be easy. And you're like, oh, it isn't. Even the basic <laughs> stuff that I thought I knew. It's, it's, it's not. It's just, and even the other thing, when you start with the sounds of the language, you think, oh, A is for Apple. Mm-hmm. Well, they're yeah. not going to use well. Apple for the A sound. They're going to use something else. Mm-hmm. And Z isn't going to have a zebra. It's going to be something else if they even have that sound. And so it starts really on in learning a new language. Um, your mind gets blown again and again and again. Yeah, so thanks for calling and sharing your story with us. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. 
Thank you for calling. 877-929-9673. Barbara Mayo Wells shared this story with us. One morning when my son was developing a vocabulary, I walked into his bedroom to find him stalking back and forth in his crib, his very sodden diapers drooping down below his knees. I'm king wet, he announced. I must have looked confused for he elaborated. So king wet. It was very king wet. Yeah, it's like I'm being have, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm so king wet. He's king wet. Yeah, she capitalized king wet. I thought that was so cute. Thank you, Barbara. 877-929-9673. This show's about language examined through family, history, and culture. Stick around. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Here's a poem from Ellen Burkett Morris. It's called Abide. It is unfashionable these days to spend your time watching morning light radiate off wood floors. Notice the rich grain. Linger over your old dog's fur. Marvel at the softness that still remains. Relish simple flavors, the peach, the ripe tomato. Get lost in sentences of Dickens. Wander as they do through narrow alleys or wind through the fields of wildflowers that is Austin's prose. Bathe in the sound of your husband's voice as he tells a long story of neighbors. Allow the minute, the second. Savor the tick, indulge the talk, Pause what passes for your life to feel the slow stretch of time made slower for the pausing. Wait until you feel your place. Each breath a moment held, each breath given for the next. Grant, I came across that poem one day when I was looking at my phone and just thinking, why am I still looking at my phone? I'm just burning my eyes with that light from the phone. And there was something about this poem that uh, really struck me about just stopping and paying attention to my breath and mm-hmm. the, the sense, all the sensory things around me. Mm-hmm. I've been working on that a lot more myself is just, yeah. uh, just trying to be... Um a little more committed to avoiding rote action. Oh, that's a good way to put it, rote action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was reading, I was actually reading this poem on my phone and, and I kind of glanced away and I was looking at the morning light radiating off the wood floors, just mm-hmm. like she, she talks about. But there was, there was something that was kind of Mary Oliver and Annie Dillard about this poem oh. that I really liked. It's called Abide. It's by Ellen Burkett Morris, used with permission, and it appeared in the anthology Running With Water from V Press LC. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Well, I sure am glad I do. 
Uh, who's this? Oh, oh, so, oh, sorry. I was so excited to be talking to you that I forgot to talk. Okay, my <laughs> name is Mary Gordon, and it's a double first name, like Peggy Sue. Uh-huh. And I'm calling from Austin, Texas. And the reason I'm calling is because I called once last year, and Grant said to me, I know he didn't say it to anybody else, call us back sometime, <laughs> and so I am. <laughs> Well, I am delighted that you did call us back. What can we do for you, Mary Gordon? Well, here's the deal. i, I got to tell you a quick story and then tell you I don't know how to tell it without y'all. The last time I took my daddy to the doctor, he was 95 years old and still eccentric and beautiful as ever. So I took him into the doctor's office. This is in a little town called Brownwood, Texas. And the doctor was checking his skin out and said, Mr. Spence, will you unbutton your shirt? So my daddy did, and as he unbuttoned his shirt, all these things fell out that he had stuffed in his shirt while he was wearing it, and they were yellow crookneck squash or squashes. Now, here's where I'm having trouble. Uh, I don't know how you refer to a single squash. So for a head of lettuce, you can say a head of lettuce or an ear of corn. But I don't know how to talk about the ten squash or squashes that fell out of his shirt at the doctor's office. And that's real important to the story because he would want me to include that his yellow squash crop that year was just fabulous. So how do we talk about a squash? Oh, my gosh. Well, just one squash. Or, or are they gourd squash or they're edible squash? Edible squash. They're yellow crookneck. I don't know if y'all have those up there, but oh, we sure. have them in Texas. Now, I looked it up on the web because I didn't uh-huh. want to put too much pressure on y'all. <laughs> and where I, Mr. Google said that the plural of squash is squashes. Uh-huh. But have y'all ever heard of that? Sure. Yeah, and he had 10 of them in his shirt? Yeah, they were small. And his, he's a big man, so he had somewhere under his arm. I'm a, I, and the doctor, I'm sure, threw him away. But but anyway, he had them stuffed all around his shirt, Um but they were all just packed in there. And he always does that. He takes a little something to somebody, and then he's hoping to get a discount on his medical bills. But anyway, how do we say 10 squash or squashes? I think I would say 10 squash. I would say 10 squashes, but if it's... Under his shirt and in his armpits, maybe the collective noun is squish. Maybe it was a squish of squashes? <laughs> Ten squished squashes. Um. <laughs> now, we can say five squash plants, but uh-huh. I, I don't know how to... I mean, I, I'll go and buy zucchini, and I'll say I want three zucchini, but I, I just don't know if that's correct, and I need your help. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can say squashes for sure. I can tell you. all the, I, I just gave a speech to a bunch of gardeners, and they all say squashes. Oh, thank you. I knew you'd be the expert, but never did I think for gardening, so thank you. <laughs> so you can say ten squashes. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think the other point is, Mary Gordon, you must tell this story because it's a great story. Well, if you knew my daddy, this is only one of his little eccentricities. After that, we went to the hospital administrator where he took out another five or ten tomatoes. From but I know where? how to say ten tomatoes. So. <laughs> Wait, where, where were the tomatoes? I have to ask. 
Well, uh, you know, they were in a big pocket. He, he wears a wool sweater all year long, so they were in his pocket. Now, he has snuck a dachshund into the hospital in one of his pockets before to see somebody. So you just never know when he unbuttons his shirt what is going to fall out. But he does grow beautiful squash and squashes. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we just never know what we're going to get when we say, hello, you have a way with words. Oh, and Mary you know, I, here's what I do. I have to duct tape my mouth and my arms together so I won't call y'all more often because <laughs> I just have so many questions and so many comments, you know, about language. I am wearing a T-shirt right now that says, I'm silently correcting your grammar. Oh, dear. And I try to wear it wherever I go. Well, you are really... You're the bright spot in my day every day. So I really thank you for that. Oh, take care of yourself, Mary Gordon. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your call. Bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Hello. Welcome to Away With Words. Hi. My name is Femby Ford. I'm calling from Los Angeles. And I have a question about a word. Um, I know it's a part of Black English or African American English or maybe Southern English. Um, but the word is sadity. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess how to spell it, it would be S-A-D-I-T-T-Y. Uh-huh. And it, it means someone who thinks that they're better than others, maybe someone who puts on airs. Mm-hmm. Um, and another way of saying it is high sadity. Mm-hmm. You could call somebody high sadity. And I've always wondered where that word came from, because it doesn't sound anything like anything, like any synonym for it to me. Hmm. Yeah, that's really a good question. And so, did you grow up with this word? Yes, I grew up with this word, but it was something that people um, in the generation above me would use more. Like, I think that my grandmother would know that word, okay. but also people in my generation use it as well. But it was not a slang type of word. It was more of an, a grown folks word. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's an African-American word from from way back, right? This is how you know it? Yes. From, were your grandmother's people from the South? Yes. Okay. Um, on all this, you're just everything that you're saying is making 100% sense to me and Martha. This is how we know it as well. We know it from our mm-hmm. callers and from our listeners. So we've talked to people about this word before. And also, all of the reference works that I have, you're just everything you're saying is 100% down the mm-hmm. line. Um, here's what we know um, the first use that we have of it in print is from 1948. Um, it, it does appear in all of the works of African-American English that I have in one way or another. The spelling that you gave is one of the common spellings, S-A-D-I-T-T-Y, S-E-D-I-T-T-Y, sometimes S-I-D-I-T-T-Y, um, to put on airs, to act better than your raisin, to mm-hmm. be, be stuck, stuck up. up. Yeah, to yeah. be stuck up. <laughs> mm-hmm. To Sometimes it's to, to be, to be um, sometimes it means to act white, especially when you're with black people, to, to act like you're not part of the community that you're actually in. Mm-hmm. And where it comes from is a real question. And of course, this is always the problem with, with language, always the problem, mm-hmm. even with some of our most mainstream words we don't know. And then when you get to language that belongs to a smaller community, it's even harder. The theory that I like for Zadidi right now connects directly to the first in-print use that we know. Bonnie Taylor Blake, I believe, found this first use from 1948. Um, and it's describing a group of young African-American women working together. And what it says is they're all talking about working together and about being ladies and being cultivated. And it says, 
as frequently stated by them to be more sedity, and it's in quotes, and in parentheses right after it, it says sedate, S-E-D-A-T-E. And that particular parenthetical reference and some other uses in print that I've seen on my own when I've been looking for this word and trying to prove its existence over time in different environments makes me think that what we're looking at here is a mock fancy pronunciation of the word sedate. In the same way oh. that people do this that people do this mock fancy pronunciation of target right. for target. Mm-hmm. It's a joking way of saying sedate, sedate. Wow. That's what I'm thinking. And people, and it just mm-hmm. somehow kind of became permanently ensconced in the language. I always talk about things being ensconced in language. Then, and it just kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that that's for sure, but there's an air to it. There's a feeling to it. Um, that's uh, a good lead. Yeah, yeah, it's a lead. And I'm not going to say that this is for sure the thing. Other people have suggested maybe sadity is a corruption of Saturday. That you might, it might be about the way that you look. And feel when you dress mm. up in your best clothes when you're going out for Saturday mm. night. You get your hair done. You put on your best clothes. Mm. You shine your shoes. You, you, you know, you got a little spending money mm. in your pocket. You go to the nice restaurant. You go to the nice club. Mm. You, you polish the car. Well, one thing with... I always did think of is yeah. that I always compared it to the word bougie because mm-hmm. uh-huh. the way that bougie is a corruption of bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. Right. I figured sadity must be a co- corruption of something, but I could not think of a word that it could be a corruption of. Mm-hmm. So, um, like you know. That that makes sense. It could. Mm-hmm. Now you might say sedate is just about being calm, right? But it isn't. Mm-hmm. In particular in the context but of But it's this, not. That's not even the word you'd use if you really wanted to yeah. <laughs> sedate is in particularly in the context of this one particular nineteen forty eight citation, to be sedate is to be how shall I put this? To be restrained and to be less than yourself, to be what the larger culture wants you to be, which is to not be your true self, to not be, mm-hmm. to not express your normal culture, to not be who you really are, to be what the white mm-hmm. people want you to be. That's mm-hmm. kind of what they're talking about in this larger qu- quotation here. So I don't really know mm-hmm. for sure, because I wasn't there at the time. I didn't write this, and I'm just reading this secondhand many years later. So I don't really know. That makes total sense. But that's my guess. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so many layers to this one word mm-hmm. about how one presents oneself. Mm-hmm. You've, you've set my reading course for me for a while here. <laughs> I think I've got some reading to do. So, Well, me too. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, yeah, Jenny Smitherman, because I have a bunch of her books on my, you know how you like kind of cue books up and then it's like, well, one day I'll get to it. Now it's like, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Every bookshelf in my house. Yes. They're all, it's, it's a long It's filling over list. onto other people's bookshelves now. So. <laughs> hey, Simbi, thank you so much for calling. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been so fantastic. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. All right, you too. Bye. 877-929-9673. Sarah Zock grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and later she moved to Iowa with her husband, and she called to tell us this story. They were on their way to the movies, and they suddenly realized they had no cash. So her husband sends her running into a local grocery store to get some money. She says, I ran in, and the service desk was right there. I looked at the boy behind the counter, and I said, Quick, quick, where's your time machine? And he looked at me and literally said, What year are you going to? (laughs) 
<laughs> and Grant, you, of course, yeah, know right. uh, the misunderstanding there because uh, in Florida, Wisconsin, and part of Michigan, time machines are ATMs. Right. That's right? their generic for ATM machine. Right. Right. It's spelled T-Y-M-E. Uh, stands for take your money everywhere. <laughs> and I realize ATM machine is redundant, but join yes. me in saying ATM machine. <laughs> ATM machine. 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, this is David from Plainfield, Indiana, and I have a regional dialect word for you from where I grew up in Massachusetts. Okay. And a great story to go with it. Yes, please. I was looking at colleges, and I flew in to do a little uh, tour of the college in Evansville, Indiana, way down in the southwest corner. Mm -hmm. And the first morning there... We went to breakfast, and then we go start on our tour, and there's people from all around the nation. There's people from Texas, Oklahoma, a few from Indiana. I think we even had one from, like, Washington State or something. And in the middle of the tour, we enter another building, and I'm thirsty, so I said, hey, where's the bubbler? <laughs> and I get, like, 11 looks of, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, the bubbler. And they're like, what's a bubbler? I said, it, it, it's in front of the bathroom. It, you get a drink from it. The, the water fountain. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's over there. Why didn't you say that? And I was like, I did say that. <laughs> and a few years later at college, I got one of those things came up and said, take this 10-question survey. We can tell you where you're from. And I was like, yeah, right. So I take it, and it comes back and says, you're from this little section of Massachusetts, this small section of southern Maine, or this small section of Minnesota, because you use the word bubbler. And I went, Really? Like, nobody knows what this is? I mean, is it really that regional a word that it's like these three or four small places in the U.S. are the only ones that really use it? Well, that's a good question. They're different places. I mean, I'm sure that that dialect quiz uh, narrowed down your uh, location because of some other things that you said besides bubbler. Because where you hear bubbler, actually, for water fountain is southern and eastern Wisconsin. All our Wisconsin listeners are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in Massachusetts, what part of Massachusetts are you from? Uh, central. I'm from uh, Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. It's okay. the first town east of Worcester. All right, Worcester. And like, everybody back in Massachusetts, you it that I knew of. Everybody mm -hmm. in Worcester and Massachusetts and Shrewsbury would know if you said, yeah, where's the bubbler? They'd go, oh, yeah, over there. <laughs> right. Right. So Wisconsin, parts of Wisconsin, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island uh, do refer to a water fountain as a bubbler. And I'll tell you, David, that when we were, um, Grant and I did a couple of appearances in Wisconsin um, recently, a few months ago, and uh, we appeared in Milwaukee and Madison. And when we were in Madison, uh, folks gave gave us some T-shirts from the Wisconsin Historical Society. On the front, it says, it's a bubbler, and it's got a picture of a water fountain. <laughs> and on the back, it's got a picture of a fountain, and it says, fountains are where you throw coins. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. I need to get one of those. Where, where is that from? The Wisconsin, somewhere that in Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah, you can get them from the Wisconsin Historical Society. So people have strong Wisconsin feelings Historical about Society. that. Term. I need to write that down. That, that's priceless. I need that shirt. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but you guys love regional dialect words, and I thought I would call in with that one. That's a great example, Dave. That's a classic. Yay! So it is like a really small group of us that actually like know what it means. So right. Well, I'll, you know, have to, I'll have to teach it to my kids and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> Buy them all T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can go to wisconsinhistory.org and find them. <laughs> wisconsinhistory.org. Okay, thank you so much thank for that. Thank you for your okay. call. Thanks for calling. Bye. Yep. Bye. Take care.
Call us with your weird regional word. What was the thing that you said at school on that very first day when I said, what are you saying, <laughs> weirdo? 877-929-9673. Or tell us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D or email us the whole sordid tale, words at waywardradio.org. Thanks to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director Colin Tedeschi, editor Tim Felton, and production assistant Caitlin O'Connell. You can send us a message, subscribe to the podcast, get the newsletter, or catch up on hundreds of past episodes at waywardradio.org. Our toll-free line is always open in the U.S. and Canada, 877-929-9673. Or send us your thoughts to words at waywardradio.org. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who are changing the way the world talks about language. We're coming to you from the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Until next time, goodbye. Bye.